0: Hello and welcome to the Yoga With Molly Off The Mat podcast. I'm your host, Molly, and in this podcast, we talk all things yoga and life off of the mat. Let's get started. Good morning, yogi friends. I am coming to you poorly today. (laughs) I've woken up with a cold. It's that stage of the cold where I don't think I sound that sick, but I definitely feel it. Just totally zapped of energy and feeling kind of raw through my nose and throat. You know that stage of a cold? It's almost worse than the end of the cold where you sound really bad because your system... (laughs) Has finally like kicked into gear, but actually you're feeling okay um yeah so i'm I'm just sitting here, whispering, hoping my baby sleeps through the morning. My husband has gone to quickly run some errands so that I can have his support the rest of the day in looking after bub, um cause it's just a little bit difficult. With feeding and playing while also trying not to get him poorly. So he's taking a little nap right now. Um, and I'm just in bed. Thought I would catch up on the podcast because next week will be our last episode of this season. And then I'm taking a break for a couple of months um, before we come back for season four in sometime in May. Not sure yet if that will be early May, mid May, late May. We'll see how it goes. Um, but yeah, I thought I would hop on. What have I been up to since we last spoke? Lots of mom stuff, um, lots of baby play. I actually think a lot of next season will be inspired by baby play. I'll still keep the theme on yoga for adults, (laughs) Um, but yeah, all of the things I'm learning about play and development with him is really inspiring me to think about my own body and practice and path that we all take in life um, as we as we grow up because we were all babies once. Um, so yeah, I think there'll be a heavy focus on that and we'll kind of shift the focus away a little bit from postpartum recovery uh, and more on to yeah, playfulness within our practice. I'm really, really looking forward to it. So I've been, I've been starting to get inspired on the themes I want to come to in the next season of the podcast. My recovery has continued to go on to go well. I think my last episode, I'd gone for my per- first postpartum run. I've been running again since. I've been back at the gym. I've been swimming. I have, I've been getting back into all of the things. The other day, I even did a squat with a kettlebell. <laughs> it was the lighter of my two kettlebells, but I uh, I did a set of squats with a weight and it felt fine, it felt good, felt safe, so um, that was pretty exciting, so yeah, now that I'm getting back into it, I'm taking each day as it comes and taking it slowly, but we are getting there and that is so exciting um what else have I been up to I reinstalled a language learning app on my phone um for those of you who may or may not know this I I was a linguist uh long before I was a yogi and I love learning languages it is my yeah passion hobby um life calling in a lot of ways um and yeah I live in London in a very um, Jewish neighborhood and I also have some Jewish heritage myself so I got really curious to learn a little bit of Hebrew this week. It's not a language I've ever studied um, and even though Hebrew and uh, Yiddish are different, um, there are a lot of words in Yiddish that are really easily understandable for someone who speaks German. One of the languages that I do speak fluently is um German. And yeah, I do I've always I yeah, any Yiddish terms or phrase that ring familiar, um, I've been really interested in and I've yeah, I've always been curious to learn a little bit more about Jewish culture, language, food, celebrations. Um yeah, has always been and has been for for a long time, I have all kinds of Jewish recipe books and I have a particular obsession with the Jewish bakeries in my neighbourhood. I've eaten almost every single thing that they serve. I'm slowly working my way through them over the course of my time living in North London. Um, so yeah, I decided I would dip my toe into some Hebrew language learning. So um I just started that a couple of days ago. I'm really enjoying it. And the other thing that I've started to do, I know I mentioned it on the podcast a few weeks ago, my copy of the Bhagavad Gita finally arrived. I mean, it arrived a couple of weeks ago. um, But I, today, um, have finally gotten around to reading it. Um, I think I mentioned, you know, I wanted to um, deepen my understanding and learning about certain specific aspects of yoga, but also the spiritual Um, side of things and again it doesn't necessarily mean I think particularly when I'm delving into texts that discuss the divine um, and for me that means a religious text doesn't mean that I ascribe to any specific um, religion but I, I think can't discuss yoga without understanding its origins within spirituality and its relationship to religion Um, so yeah, I'm doing a little bit of learning, a little bit of reading, um, and the other thing that I have started to do, I said on the pod, I would re-listen to all of my old episodes and make a note of, um, all of the inspirations (laughs) that that I note, you know, so, oh yeah, this inspired me to write a 30-day course on this or on that, so I have started to go through and make that list, um, and not sure what i'm doing with it yet but i'm going to have a list <laughs> and i'm going to make some commitments at the end of it um so far the big one that i had in episode 1 i talked and i i've i've come back to it again and again and again i've talked about doing a 30 day yoga nidra um and even though i have started to develop some content i did um you know in the last couple of months for for postpartum people specifically um i I haven't delved into it in the way that I intended to when I set that intention initially, but I think it is very cool that I did end up going on to do a specialised yoga teacher training, So I wasn't even aware that that was available at the point at which I recorded that episode. So that was pretty cool. I did deepen my practice in that sense. I just kind of went about it slightly differently. Um, On the topic of postpartum, the only other thing that i participated in this week that i thought was so interesting is the um maternity voices partnership for my maternity trust um hosted a feedback session with women and birthing people um who have had births you know locally whether it's in the hospital at home or in the birthing center um attended by the Um, local midwives and feeding teams and doctors and if we could share our experience um, they were specifically looking for feedback on uh, postpartum support after cesarean um, uh, section and feeding supports and breastfeeding support specifically it was so interesting I they did it all online I was there for two hours and sharing my story was powerful Hearing other people's stories was powerful, and then so the first hour was just sharing, and then in the second hour, midwives, doctors um from within the trust dialed in to hear um the the feedback once it had been given. We were given the option to stay and continue to contribute or to leave, you know, if we preferred to kind of keep it uh, anonymous um I decided to stay, and yeah, it was really powerful um it was a really powerful experience so if you are someone who has given birth especially recently although there really wasn't a cut off, they weren't showing anyone away um then yeah i, I would look into that <laughs> um I, I just found it a really powerful and empowering um experience um And I don't know yet if more children are in our future, but if they are, it would give me more confidence to um, have our second baby in the same trust as we did our first. Because I really feel like we're helping to shape and mould and make a better, you know, future for this trust and for other people who will be giving birth. So um, that was very cool and I really appreciated it. The other thing I'll say, um, there was something that I, I can't tell if it was great or kind of in poor taste. It was an open invitation. Anyone could, could kind of come along. They weren't screening you to verify that you had, in fact, given birth. One person joined who obviously wasn't a midwife or a doctor, nor were they a birthing person. It sounded like they were maybe a local physiotherapist or yoga teacher. It wasn't kind of sure. I think they introduced themselves as someone who supports women after birth biomechanically. <laughs> so, I mean, it it sounds a little bit like physio yoga movement. Um, and I couldn't tell if when they joined they were really looking to learn to get better in their jobs, or if they were hoping to kind of meet more postpartum people that they could advertise their classes and services to. Um, I think it's for that latter point that I felt just a little bit um, uncomfortable, because I, I felt myself like... You know, oh, am I gonna have to hear a sales pitch in a minute <laughs> about, you know, what why you should come along to um to this person's course? But at the same time, I really appreciated um that that person came along to listen and to learn. But I'm just not sure if that's the right forum for it. Um, you know. Anyway. Um, that's the only other notes that I would make. If you are a yoga teacher, if you are a physiotherapist and you are supporting people postpartum, I do think that there should be some kind of intersection between the two, but my instinct tells me that um that maybe you should reach out to the maternity voices partnership that's local to you, especially if you're in the in the UK, and recommend that they that they host a listening session with that very specific focus, you know, rehabilitation, you know, physiotherapy, how are you physically recovering over the course of three months, um, you know, and that it's open to, open to everyone and that you can, you know, and if, yeah, you can, you can kind of dial in and, and listen, um, yeah, anyway, um, that's all for now uh let's get into some of the themes of this week so something that I've wanted to talk about for a long time as a postpartum theme is the community with other women and birthing people and with midwives specifically as well. I think the origins of the word midwife and midwifery literally mean, you know, with the woman. Um, you know, so someone who is there to support that birthing person's experience from beginning to end and beyond, you know, that you're that you're with them. <laughs> you're there, you're there to support. Uh, them in what they need. Um, So, yeah, community and kind of sitting in real or imaginary circle with, you know, um, other birthing people, birth support workers, whether you are a midwife, a doctor, a doula, has been a big theme throughout pregnancy and postpartum as well. Um, And so... I'll just, I'll share, I'll just share my experience a little bit with what that has looked like, where I've been amazed and where I've, it hasn't lived up to my expectations, maybe. I mean, expectations is a dangerous word, but you know, I'll just, I'll just share honestly and, and as authentically as I can. So pregnancy for me started out very lonely because I was waiting until um, A few weeks had passed before I announced the pregnancy more broadly, which meant that I, you know, I wasn't connecting with the people who I usually connect with. You know, my mum and my sister knew, um, but most of my friends didn't. I think a couple of close friends did. I think in those very early weeks, I told people on a need to know basis. So if I had plans to meet up with someone but was feeling poorly... Um, I was just open and honest and said, I really do want to see you, <laughs> especially because I feel like so many plans had been cancelled during the pandemic. I didn't like to cancel another plan um, without giving, you know, good reason. And I was so afraid of losing touch and closeness with people um, throughout pregnancy and, and going into motherhood. So I was I was honest then. Um, But the first place I found community was actually online on social media. Now, this won't be for everyone, but it was great for me. and I'm so thankful for it. I joined a group online of other people whose babies were due in the same month as me. So you know, at any given time we weren't gonna be more than a couple of weeks apart in our gestation. And now, um, well, loosely speaking, in the age of our children, it's starting to widen a little bit because, you know, people's babies came very early, came very late. So, um my, my baby was due at the beginning of December and I would say we have a good spread from October through to January of, of people who had their babies um during during that time. Um, but, you know, we were experiencing a lot of the same things at the same time, morning sickness at the same time, notifying your place of work um, at the same time, you know, buying your first pair of maternity jeans for the first time, having your booking appointments at hospital, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And that was just a complete lifeline for me because we could be completely honest with one another. Um, I found, you know, for most of pregnancy, I really, really struggled physically. I felt so ill all of the time. And that in turn made me struggle mentally because I felt so much pressure to continue to do a good job in my work, to continue to be a good friend, to, you know, people would say really well-meaning things like, oh my gosh, we don't have to go out to like a fancy dinner. We can do something really chill, like go to the cinema. And I I thought, the only thing that I feel able to do is lie in bed and cry. Like, (laughs) there's literally no chill suggestion you could make that is chill enough. (laughs) I just need to stay in bed. I feel awful. I I felt like that the whole 10 months in the end that I was pregnant, I felt so much pressure to be a good friend, to show up, you know, to uh, go for walks, to you know, and everyone kept saying, oh, you know, let's meet up one more time before the baby comes, and oh my goodness, I I just, and when I was seeing people, they were just overflowing with excitement, oh my gosh, are you so excited, do you know the name, do you know the sex of the baby, have you started decorating, have you done that, and of course, you know, I was brimming with excitement occasionally, but you know, the truth is, when you feel horrific, um, those moments are few and far between, very fleeting. I felt more like I was on a, a checklist. I didn't even buy a single item of baby clothing. I think until I was nine months pregnant, which is, I think people think that's such a pleasure, you know, that you you'd be looking at like lots of cute baby clothes. But I was really just thinking, I need to get stuff done. I need this house to be clean. I need it to be set up. I need. I need it to be supportive of our family growing later this year, and I need to do it fast before I get too big or too busy to be able to handle all this stuff so when I joined that that group of other people who were expecting I didn 't feel like I had to you know wear that mask. Um, I could go on and just complain, <laughs> and people complained. And it was, it was amazing. It was such a safe space to just let it out and to just really, you know, complain about morning sickness, complain about, you know, keeping the pregnancy a secret, complain about having to put on a brave face or, you know, I think people were saying things to each other. They they never would have said to other people. I remember one person posted and said, you know, no one's thrown me a baby shower. I'm devastated. But she was too embarrassed to go to her, you know, real life circle and say, what is wrong with you guys? Where's my baby shower? She said, I don't want to feel entitled, but I'm devastated. Um, Is anyone else in the same boat? And, you know, I I just, there was so much um, share. And then obviously, a lot of very serious sharing, you know, around um baby loss and complications and that kind of stuff those stories I won't share on the podcast but um it was incredible um now you know the reason I say it's not for everyone is um during the first trimester a lot of people joined um and their pregnancy didn't hold um into the second trimester um, yeah, I, I would see a lot of stories of, of, um, pregnancies where, um, yeah, ba- baby didn't make it. It wasn't their time. Um, complications, um, during pregnancy, um, babies who were very poorly when they were born. Cause we were a group of over a thousand people. Um, so, you know, I, I think You have to make your own judgment on how you're going to relate to that type of content. And if it is going to be upsetting and anxiety inducing, then it probably isn't the right thing for you. For me, every time I learned about something new, I took a real evidence based approach. And, you know, I looked at a situation. Let's say I learned about a new pregnancy complication that someone was experiencing And I would just look up the evidence and go, oh, this is actually extremely rare. So just because they've said I have this and two other people have chimed in and said I have it too, you know, still <laughs> it's three in a thousand. Um, and that, you know, seems consistent with the data that you would see as well. And how amazing for those people that they were able to find other people through that group to connect with and share on that experience with. So, um, but, I, but I think you have to make your own judgment call. That's the advice I gave to any friends when I was pregnant, same time as them. Some people said, "Ooh, sounds like my worst nightmare. I will definitely not be joining a group like that. For me i and the group lives on you know it lives on now actually and we're all sharing about what we're up to with our babies and you know play ideas and um you know one one person shared that actually they joined a similar group for their last child you know five six years ago and it's still a very active group uh almost like an online nct group um so i thought that was just yeah incredible um After that, um, I found community within my NCT group. I would say during the pregnancy itself, not so much. We all went to the classes together. um, And it, you know, when the classes ended, we were all pretty close to our due date. So we were all just at home nesting. Um, But once our babies were born, there was a lot of 3 a.m. texting, <laughs> and we've started to do a lot more meetups. You know, because we're all you know people who have uh, free time on maternity leave. Well, I don't know if I call it free time. We have a similar schedule. <laughs> Let's put it like that: <laughs> similar schedules, similar constraints, similar goals. <laughs> so that is very helpful um, in terms of who you're spending your time with if you're getting out and about and trying to be active and social. Um, so. Yeah, that's my experience of community with other people who were giving birth and I think is extremely important, extremely important. That is where I felt the most support, the most understood, the most seen. Um, Yes. The other thing, unfortunately, that does happen within those circles, but that I needed is... If you're in a situation where you feel like the system is not supporting you, you need other people to talk to about it. And this happened to me a lot. I had... Yeah, I... Listen, I'm not here to comment on whether the process is right or wrong or could be better. All I can say is that prenatally when I was pregnant, I dreaded every single visit um with the midwives, I was upset in the lead up. I was upset during the appointment. I was definitely very upset after every single appointment. I think I had one appointment where I learnt about collecting colostrum where I felt pretty good i've had a I visited with a different midwife on that occasion who was lovely, and I felt so awful afterwards because I came in wearing all my armour, I was probably quite standoffish, and I always thought, oh, I <laughs> I must have come off as just not a very nice person, because I used to really go into those appointments just giving one-word answers and just thinking, just get me out of here as fast as possible. Um, something that someone said in the Maternal Voices Partnership meeting that I mentioned earlier has really stuck with me. She was recounting an occasion a difficult one she had had in hospital post delivery where they wanted her to stay in hospital for a while longer um and she wanted to explore whether or not she could receive the treatment and support she needed but from home and she the te- the turn of phrase that she used she goes i really wanted to protect my oxytocin um now for those of you who are who uh, have not been um uh pregnant or don't know what that means <laughs> um oxytocin is the uh the hormone that you um produce uh more of in uh in the lead up to birth a hell of a lot of it during labor and delivery um and then afterwards as well and it fas- it, it is hugely important in facilitating birth and also breastfeeding um and uh oxytocin the love hormone is going to really struggle to do its thing if you are stressed and i wish so much now that i had taken a similar approach during my pregnancy because i do sometimes wonder if the reason i was so far overdue with no signs of baby is because of how stressed i was um i was really i i wouldn't sleep for several nights before and after my antenatal appointments, because I found them so stressful and upsetting. Um, and that isn't to scare anyone. I know so many people who have had just incredible experiences, but that that just wasn't wasn't mine. Um, and yeah, I think I think part of it is um, one thing I was prepared for, which is here in the UK. take more of a screening approach so it's more you're screened for everything to keep you safe and then treated for anything that they find but it can often feel like you're being screened unnecessarily and there's a lot of fear-mongering you know we're gonna screen you for the this 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 and if you do have any of those things it can mean this 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 and it's really really scary (laughs) um and yeah it means you know you have lots of really unpleasant tests and it, it is the safest way i do actually agree in terms of you know having it like this as a system it is the safest way um to um prevent a lot of serious and harmful outcomes but it is more uncomfortable <laughs> um you know to to go about it that way and it's it's less kind of tailored to you. Um, and it, I felt like I was doing a lot of box ticking. I remember the very first appointment I went to and someone just, I didn't know this was normal. They just handed me a cup and said, you know, put your urine over there. And I was like, what? No one even explained why. Just put your urine over there. And I soon learned, oh, every antenatal appointment you go to, you have to give a urine sample. But it took me a few weeks to understand why. <laughs> i was so flabbergasted by it and that was very much the culture um that yeah that was very much the culture give us your blood give us your urine give us your this give us your that um i found them a little bit too um yeah forceful even during the ultrasound sometimes and you know it wasn't a gently gently approach, which is what I expected as a pregnant person again, expectation is a dangerous word but um i i i just yeah i I really felt like it it felt quite aggressive towards my body during a time when I felt so vulnerable and sensitive in my body. And, you know, for that reason, every time I went to an appointment and I just knew they were going to be like, give us your urine and we want to take a blood test. I just, I became so afraid and upset and, um, you know, it really took a lot for me to, I attended all of them. but again, mainly out of fear. I'd heard from other women if they weren't attending their antenatal appointments that social services had been called on them and all kinds of things. So it was not good. It was not good. And um, I think in future pregnancies, I would feel more confident to speak up and be really clear and say and, and at least give the feedback that uh, the bedside manner, so, manner sometimes was really inappropriate. <laughs> um but yeah so i think i think that was tough that so that's the first thing it, you know kind of systemically but the other thing is the the team that was supporting me they specialize in unmedicated home births and i've talked about this on the podcast i think before i i love the idea of an unmedicated home birth but at the same time I'm I'm realistic for myself <laughs> as okay. someone who has really high levels of anxiety that I just don't <sighs> for for my first baby where there's so much unknown and my anxiety was high I didn't feel like that was a safe option to pursue um even if physically um the you know my midwife felt quite strongly that I was a good candidate for a home birth Um, I didn't feel like my mental health was there to support me with an experience that intense without at least having had some experience with labour and delivery prior so I was really keen for my first baby to have that experience in a medical environment that's where I felt the most safe so that if you know I lost that mental fortitude um, because I became overwhelmed by the sensations of labour, that I would have all of the medical support I needed, and that that was you know a mental health decision that I took. I didn't really feel like that was understood um, at any at any point at any time when I kind of tried to discuss a mental health consideration with the midwives. I I. I felt like it wasn't understood, wasn't taken on board. I'm also someone who has history of, um, uh, other, uh, trauma, um, specifically, um, yeah, uh, violence in the relationships that I've been in. Um, I should say upfront, never, ever with my husband, um, i want that to be really clear <laughs> but um you know things things that happened earlier in in my life that meant that i think a process that is as intimate and vulnerable as birth and pregnancy um it was going to bring up feelings and pain and hurt from those events that have happened in the past again even though it was recorded. I didn't really feel like I was given any differentiated advice, treatment, understanding, um, you know, based, um, based on that. And I often felt very judged for my choices. Um, I remember when we were discussing my birth plan, I said, oh, um, I'd I'd like to be in an environment where an epidural is available because if the sensations become too intense for me, I I am prone to panicking and having panic attacks. And if you've listened to the podcast, you know that I was having them daily in pregnancy because the sensations of morning sickness were overwhelming me. And that's just something you have to be realistic about. I think, you know, I think some people just think, oh, maybe we can cheerlead that person through it. You also need to know when to ask for help. (laughs) You know, that is a skill in and of itself. And for me, that's what that looked like. It looked at saying, I will do my very best, as I think every birthing person does. But I'll know when the balance is tipping out of my favour, when I'm losing control, essentially, of the situation. um, And and I need some medical intervention. And that has to be an option that's available for, for someone like me. I was told in response to that, my midwife kind of huffed and went, all right, but we can't give you a lot of epidural because it's really important that you still feel contractions. And I just thought... <laughs> um, I'm just self-editing here because I don't think I've ever cursed on the podcast and I'm trying to keep it family-friendly. Um so I won't, but listen, I had a strong reaction to that, I thought it was really inappropriate and unsupportive, um, and I, in the end, as you know, I had a c-section delivery, and that was amazing, because I was supported by doctors, and an anaesthetist, and people who, you know, live my choices every day, and support my choices for a medical intervention, if you need one, Um I even, I remember when I asked about the option of a C-section because they had told me there wouldn't be any pain relief available for the induction methods that they had intended for me. Again, I, I didn't feel celebrated or, you know, I, I felt really judged by the midwifery team at the hospital. You know, they, they seemed annoyed and disappointed and, you will right, a consultant will come and see you and they're just on to the next. and you know, didn't even say goodbye and good luck, just kind of said, yeah, just wait here. And I never saw them again. And we're a very stretched system in the UK, but I just, um, yeah, I was so let down. I even remember one midwife who came to visit me after I'd had my baby and I, I, um, she said, how is feeding going? And I said, oh, um, I think I'm hunching over too much because when I feed in this position, it really causes me an ache through my shoulders, kind of my upper back area. And she just went, "It's not because of feeding; it's because you had an epidural." And I, I just thought, no, because I don't have constant pain. It's just when I go into this very specific unhealthy position <laughs> that I feel, I feel the weight of the baby pulling me down, and it aches, you know. Um. And she, but she kind of was insistent, nope, it's because you decided to have an epidural and your back's now going to hurt potentially for several months, which, you know, turned out to be completely untrue. But it just, it just showed that bias there. It showed that judgment there. And I really felt othered, you know, it was the opposite of community. I felt like had I opted for a home birth, I would have been welcomed with open arms as one of them, as someone who, you know, believes that birth is natural and everyone can do it and you know you just need to have the right mindset and the right support and feel empowered and it's not that I don't believe in any of that stuff it's just that you know anyway um but instead I felt very othered I felt like I wasn't part of a community with the midwives they weren't with me you know, I felt like they were against me a lot and they made my experience of pregnancy and postnatal harder and stressful and upsetting and that was devastating. Um, so I'm glad I found community with with other, you know, mums and parents and birthing people. Um, but that was just something that really shocked me and and i was so relieved when i was discharged from my midwife-led care and i was back in the hands of you know my gp and my community and the health visitors and even the children's centers where i go to visit um you know i i felt that love and support and that safe place to share that i i just never felt um with with the midwives in my in my trust i was always really scared to meet with them and spend time with them which is so sad and i'm sure so many midwives listening would be devastated and that story is is probably a huge disservice to the majority huge majority of experiences that are amazing and i know that as well from talking to other people um but that you know that that was my experience um to to share to share really honestly um now how does all of this relate to yoga (laughs) um i think i've shared in the past you know number one pre and postnatal classes if they're available they are super scarce local to me i never found one that was local enough um and maybe i'll be the person to offer that um when i'm when i'm ready um is an amazing way to find community I think there was one local class that I thought about going to but immediately there was this very long intake form and it was really clear to me from the types of questions on the form that this was a teacher whose class was focused on helping women prepare for a quote-unquote natural birth I'm super against that language by the way Um, I always prefer to say vaginal delivery, abdominal delivery, as opposed to natural and, um, C-section. Actually, I do use a lot, but I do tend to say, um, vaginal or abdominal, uh, delivery, I guess, in, in the language that I'm, I'm using, um, And uh, because the truth is so many um, vaginal deliveries are also not natural, (laughs) quote unquote. There's still a lot of drugs involved. (laughs) Um, Anyway, so um, uh, where was I going with any of this? Yeah, so that's the first thing. I think as a yoga teacher, don't forget the power you have to help create local community and be that support, and be that point of continuity, and yeah, hugely, hugely important, I wish that's something that I would have found um, locally, someone who was able to work with me, you know, both both physically, and where I would be able to uh, meet other people who were on, you know, a similar path and timeline to me, um, so uh, that's the first thing, the other thing that I'd say outside of the realm of pre and postnatal, just on the topic of community full stop something that i found that i've found really hard is just building community with other yogis um maybe this speaks to my introverted nature i know that some yoga studios are very community-led um And they do feel like a giant hug when I step into them. But at the same time, there's something about yoga to me, the going inwards, both when I arrive and when I leave, that makes it really hard for me to want to continue a social interaction before or afterwards. Do other people find that? I have some communities that I'm a part of, yoga communities, again, online, so that if I'm struggling for inspiration for a class to teach or various other things. So I'm a part of a few groups online, you know, teaching yoga to kids, um, a chair yoga, pre and postnatal yoga, um, yoga sequencing tips, yoga inspiration, you know, all these kind of things, just London yoga that I love. And I find amazing community there. But again, it's typically pretty separate to me being on the mat. Even this podcast is a touch point of community for me in a sense it's it's very this kind of a one-way dialogue (laughs) in the sense that you aren't all my guests right now um to be able to respond in kind but this is a moment where I'm touching base with community right and and sharing my thoughts and ideas and reflections in a way that I atmospherically it's just not the time and the place for me when I actually step foot in the studio but I'd love to hear your experiences. I'd love to hear your thoughts on where it's worked well versus where it's felt forced and a bit gimmicky. Everyone, I think, wants to say, oh, join our yoga studio. There's more of a sense of community than if you go to, you know, yoga at gym or yoga elsewhere. But is that really real? You know, and and when it is real, how? How does that happen? Um, What makes it different? I'd love to hear your your thoughts and stories. Yeah. All right. Let's wrap. Two yoga themes for you to decide if you are drawn to them and if you would like to experiment with them this week. One is pretty physical and the other is more spiritual. Well, depends how you look at it. So the first one is my body positive word of the week. And actually, I should say, um, that book that I mentioned, my little book of positivity, I ended up turning it into a craft project. I had this big um, picture frame um, with kind of a cork backing um, that I had bought to hang a picture. And in the end, it turned out I'd measured everything wrong and the frame had Gone to waste, so I thought, what else could I use this for? So I decided to use it as kind of a inspiration board instead. So I didn't actually put a picture inside. I took the the glass out, um, the kind of the picture frame pane, and and just started decorating the backboard um, with things that inspired me, and I called it my boob. Because very specifically, I wanted something to cheer me on in my nursing and breastfeeding journey. Um, I won't talk so much. I mean, I I feel like I talked about that loads in episode one. Um, We are still going strong, three months in. Baby is drinking 95%, most days 100%, but you know, it just depends. Um, uh, breast milk and again we came home from the hospital drinking formula and kind of transitioned over the course of the next couple of weeks as I was learning and getting my supply up and figuring out a pumping schedule that worked and all of this kind of thing Um, but I'm really enjoying it it makes me feel re- and on balance I should say and over the long term because I definitely have days when pumping is harder for my mental health than giving formula and I think okay I'm noticing this and if I feel this way over many days then I, I might consider stopping and switching to formula or at least switching up the balance but I persevere on those days because I think I want to keep my supply up and if i still feel like this in a couple of days time i have the option at that point to start cutting down on the number of feeds um that i give versus formula um but more often than not the next day i feel really good again and i don't want to i don't want to cut this time short because i'm having a hard day once in a while so for the most part i would say um i'm really enjoying it baby really happy i'm really happy um we're going to continue and i think that would have always been um yeah that's always going to be my guiding light regardless of what it is that we choose had it been nursing expressing formula feeding anything else in between i'm looking at how am i doing hows baby doing and as long as we're both able to laugh and play and, you know, the smiles and cuddles, that stuff is much more important to me um, than than anything else. But this, this is working for us, um, but it is, it is really hard work. So anyway, I wanted to make myself a boob board. <laughs> and I had gone on, I think, Redbubble and Etsy and had bought loads of... Um, uh, breastfeeding stickers but very specifically it was really important to me that they focused on expressed breast milk which is the majority of what we're doing in our family um, you'll see a lot of stickers that focus on um breastfeeding directly from the breast and that didn't feel authentic to me um, but there were loads you know just loads of like actual breast pump stickers and like really cool funky arts um pumping ain't easy stickers be kind I was up all night pumping (laughs) there's loads and they're they're funny and they're they're funny they're empowering they're I I feel as soon as I read them I felt like I was sitting in a room with a thousand other people who had gone through the same thing as me the last 24 hours, all nodding their head like, "Mm mm-hmm, pumping ain't easy. (laughs) And it just made me feel really good. You know, it it made me feel like I can keep going. It made me feel supported. Right. Um, And yeah, particularly, I I think on Etsy, I found some amazing stickers. I did pay a pretty penny for them. (laughs) I'll say that much, but I thought, this is art and it matters to me. Redbubble was much more affordable. I was able to get stickers for kind of 80p. I think recently I ordered like 20 stickers and it, yeah, cost me, you know, not not a lot of money and it meant that I, um you know, was able to spend an hour kind of mindfully stickering up this picture frame, getting getting inspired and, you know, that kind of stuff. So, um, but what I was going to say is my body positivity book, I also took to that and cut out words and images. Cause there was a lot of kind of, um, beautiful illustration of, you know, women in different bodies and, um, because they were often nude illustrations, a lot of boobs. <laughs> so, which is what I wanted for my boob board. So, um, Yeah, I just did lots of cutting out and sticking and and that kind of stuff. And I'd taken all of the words from that and also placed them onto this boob board. So it was mainly boob related content and pumping related content, but with little sprinkles of body positivity in there as well. It's really it's it's a really it's a really awesome boob board. Um, Oh, and the other thing I have on there, um, again, if you know, you know, but there is a culture of kind of breastfeeding milestones um to celebrate each milestone that you reach so i think ugh, i get it wrong but i think after a week of breastfeeding you get your glitter boobs and after 2 weeks of feeding it's your confetti boobs and anyway um i'm at 3 months which means that i just earned my bronze boobs badge <laughs> um and i think 6 months is silver and you know it goes on and there there's a few in between ruby and all kinds of things it's really cool and you know some women have them as stickers or as fridge magnets or as charms on a charm bracelet or a key ring or um there's all kinds of things that you, that you can do and it's just yeah it's just this uh yeah I don't know, this culture of like supporting and encouraging. Um, So I'd also bought a bunch of sticker badges and just decided, you know, each time I'll also, you know, put those on the boot board as well. So I'm constantly adding to it and it's changing and evolving and, you know, there's memories there as well. Um, so yeah, it's kind of hard to explain when we have visitors. It's pretty. <laughs> it's pretty out there (laughs) and in your face if you accidentally stumble across my boob board while in my home. Um, But, you know, there you go. I I made it and I love it and I I needed it. So that was just one way in which I kind of brought that support to me in in my home. Um, But uh, yes, all of the words from my body positivity book. I cut them up, I glued them um, onto that board, and the word that I wanted to offer you for today is jiggle <laughs> that's literally the word as it was as it stood there for the letter j jiggle um, interpret that how you how you want, however, makes you feel good in terms of thinking about your own body positive relationship to yourself. What I will say from a yogic point of view, jiggling and a little bit of shaking is so so good for you (laughs) so good for you uh good for your nervous system good for your muscles i think if you're doing it safely can be very good for your joints as well um i regularly incorporate into my self-practice lots of jiggling um right and you see it in all kinds of different disciplines right if you're a dancer it could be twerking if it's uh i've been to kundalini classes before where you just lie on the floor and jiggle your body to kind of shake off and release stagnant energy and um yeah jiggle 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 um if you are listening to this at home jiggle if you are out in public i mean you know jiggle as is appropriate. um but even just jiggling your foot you know jiggling your hand just kind of shake them off a little bit you know um loosen up any tension that you're feeling through the ankles through the wrists um just jiggle jiggle (laughs) always be jiggling um i i can't emphasize that enough so that you know potentially an interesting theme um if you are a yoga teacher um, or for your self-practice, or just something you can do right now that takes all of one second. Just, you know, take the time to give yourself a quick jiggle jiggle. Um, anyway, the second word that I wanted to offer up, um, I know that I also said I'm I'm revisiting the eight limbs of yoga regularly. I'm constantly trying to reconnect to the spiritual um, side of of yoga, some of which I've talked about a little bit today. Um, but the theme that I'm reflecting on this week, and again, I offer it out as as something for you to explore, um, is Saucha. Um Not sure on the pronunciation. Um, I'm a white person who learnt yoga from white people, so um, <laughs> in full transparency, um, I'm doing my best to course correct and to learn, but. I have no idea if I'm saying these things right. So all, all I can do is continue to try and practice and ask questions. And there's there's an open door for people to give me feedback, please. Um, but it is uh, one of the niyama in yoga. And it means purity or cleanliness of the mind, of speech and of body. So taken quite literally, you know, that can mean uh, keeping a clean mat, you know, <laughs> showing up to practice in clean clothes and practicing good hygiene um, as a sign of, you know, respect towards others and to yourself. Um, it You know, cleanliness and purity of speech. Uh, yeah, there's so many ways to interpret that. Could it be honesty? Could it be kindness? Could it be you know, keeping your vocabulary free of, you know, words that are hateful or, I mean, a million different ways in which you could interpret that. And I think you're welcome to interpret that in every way possible. So I might in one class decide, actually, I choose to interpret this as being really clean with my mat, maybe even I'm mindfully cleaning my home and my life that day, right, and having a good declutter. And other days, it might mean, you know, purity in my mind, and I go really deep on meditation, or um, a challenge, you know, thoughts that are unkind to myself or to others. Um, I think you could come back to that theme again and again and again, every single day, every single practice, and find new ways to interpret it and you know arguably uh, the same for any <laughs> of the eight limbs of of yoga um particularly within the first two the um uh the yama and the and the niyama which are kind of um a set of ethical restraints um and also you know maybe aspirations um as well that kind of guide guide us um so i offer those offer those out to you um my own experience with them this week honestly when you're poorly which i still am even if i don't sound it I really don't feel like jiggling. (laughs) After all of the hype I gave you about jiggling, I am not in the mood to jiggle right now. That is way too energetic. I want to lie down. What I will be doing, though, is rotating gently through the joints. I think that is a great way to get that lymphatic fluid moving through the body. So when I am standing up to go get myself some water, just some rolls through the shoulders, through the neck, the wrists, the ankles uh maybe gently bringing the knee up and kind of rotating through the hips once or twice um you know in bed twisting from side to side so I get a little bit of spinal movement that's what I will be doing but I will be taking a break from um yeah jiggling and jumping for the next couple of days at least and then we'll see as I recover um that could be a great thing to get my energy back up um, but certainly when it comes to Soucher, um, very interesting, isn't it, in the context of someone who is poorly. I think the thing that I, that I relate that theme to most immediately is actually in my nutrition and making sure that the food and drink that I'm putting in my body is really supportive of me recovering from illness. Um, so at the moment, my body is screaming We really want to eat chocolate brownies. (laughs) I don't want to cook. (laughs) I don't want to make any effort. I just want to order takeout and I want all of it to be chocolatey. And where I have to find a healthy middle ground is in saying, actually, you know, you need lots of clear fluids, so, you know, broth and water and teas, Um, and you need green veg, so. Definitely at some point today, we're going to be eating a big portion of broccoli. Um, and I think if after that, you're still hungry, I think there's room in our life for a chocolate brownie. But, um, you know, <laughs> that's that's how I'm thinking about saucha today, which is I need to be putting into my body things that will help me flush out clean, you know, um, the stuff that's making me feel crap Um, and not adding foods that mm, will probably slow my body down. Um, I mean, in defense of chocolate brownies, you know, good to get your energy up. There's lots of energy in a chocolate brownie, Um, energy as is measured in um, calories. I don't really like to use that word because I think it's really charged for people, but that's literally what it means. It's a measure of energy. So there's a lot of energy, which your body needs when it's poorly. Um, so that is, is, is probably why I'm craving it so much because body's working really hard to fight off this virus. Um, but I also want to make sure that it's getting, um, some slightly more nutritionally dense, uh things as well so that is my you know uh spiritual meditation um and and how it relates to chocolate brownies if uh it's not all sitting up on a mountaintop and talking to god um and again sorry to use the g word cuz i know that that is super charged and triggering for people um please interpret that as a god or lack of god of as, <laughs> of your understanding i happen to not be a religious person but i have I have grown an increased comfort in using the G word the last couple of years because I feel more flexible to interpret it however works for me. Um, You know, anyway, I'll leave it there. Speaking of God, I feel like the baby gods have smiled on me today. Not only did my son sleep through the night last night for the very first time, yep, that is right, he fell asleep at 10pm and awoke at 6am this morning. I couldn't believe it. I woke up briefly at 3am in shock, um, but otherwise he slept through. It is now halfway through the morning and he has napped through the entire recording of the podcast. Thank you, baby gods. (laughs) My husband should be home really soon to help me. It makes me feel confident that hopefully I won't be transmitting this cold to my baby and I'm going to be getting support for the rest of the afternoon so that I can go back to eating broccoli and chocolate brownies and focusing on getting better. Thanks so much for joining for this episode. Next week, last episode in season three, where we will tie up any loose ends there are to tie on, you know, pregnancy, postpartum, early motherhood reflections, and I'm so excited for season four already, but also really looking forward to taking a bit of a break um, to gather some inspiration and creativity and, and yeah, uh, a little less talking, a little more action, maybe, when it comes to yoga teaching and and yoga practice I want to kind of reinvest the time I've spent recording podcast episodes into actually getting into the practice um, as well as 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 I'm starting to kind of build up my strength maybe not today but (laughs) as I'm building up my strength Um, have awesome weekends and weekend uh, weekends and weeks ahead and I'll see you soon